Hello, I'm Sean Rudke. Welcome to episode five of Speaking From Water. Today on the show, we have legendary surf photographer, DJ Strunz from Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. DJ has traveled to over 50 countries around the world. He's shot some of the world's greatest surfers of all time, and he's with us today. Please join us now. All right, well, DJ, thank you very much. Uh, for, for coming in and, and, and speaking with me and us on, on this show today, Speaking From Water, episode five. Um, you are literally the man. You've been in the game since the beginning. Um, I know I've personally idolized you for many, uh, many years now, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to, to speak with you and uh, hear, hear what you have to say. Well, thanks for having me on, Sean. I appreciate it. Um, hopefully I can uh, at least provide some laughable commentary for uh, a fairly interesting life but uh yeah it's been fun well well excellent um just for uh uh the the viewers out there where are you how are you doing um what what is uh what is your your surroundings like at this time <laughs> um we're all doing good i'm sitting in my daughter's princess bedroom right now because we have a my wife's niece over and i'm hiding in the bedroom so uh, but we're here in Wilmington, North Carolina. That's home base. Um, been here kind of throughout this whole mess of 2020. But uh, yeah, we're all doing good. Kids are back in school full time, which is a new adventure. Just, I guess, started this week with Jonah going back full time. So he's in middle school in seventh grade. So we're just dealing with the full on chaos of raising kids. And I work from home and it's just kind of, yeah, the nuts that most most people I think are, are kind of dealing with. And it's all been uh, going smooth or have you had some hiccups? Um, well, parenting is never smooth. It's called parenting. So <laughs> it's all a new adventure every day. Um, and having everybody in close proximity all the time always adds different stresses and normal than when kids are at school or whatever else. We've just been in trying to work through it and, as much time as we can outdoors doing fun stuff and then uh you know making the most of the rest of the time so well you you live in wrightsville beach and um i also as you know live in wrightsville beach but for those of uh of of the listeners out there who have not uh, had the privilege to visit wrightsville beach can you explain the setup um so I moved to the East Coast from Northern California, and initially I moved to Folly Beach, South Carolina. Then I came up to do grad school in, in UNC Wilmington and discovered Wrightsville, just kind of fell in love with what Wrightsville Beach is. I've traveled to over 55 countries with work at Surfing Magazine, and what I always tell people is no matter where I was, it always felt good to come home to Wrightsville. It's just been a great place to live, raise a family, great access to the water. I wish they had more public boat ramps, but besides that, um, and less parking, um, parking enforcement, but you know, hey, beggars can't be choosers. So besides those two kind of issues, it's just been an incredible place to be in the water. The waves aren't world-class consistently, but we have some fun days and um, for so many years, I was traveling to waves, so not that I got to go surf, but I had to go work. And uh, when I came home, it was just nice to have fun waves to surf with your friends, 
great spearfishing and free diving um, a lot of the year. And then, um, yeah, it's just been a great place to call home. Beautiful. I, I totally agree. Uh, let, let's rewind the clock a little bit. You're from California. Tell us about your early years, your, your upbringing. What, what were your parents like? How, how were you first exposed to the ocean? And where did that, that seed, um, where, where was it planted? And, and give us some, some circumstantial commentary around that. So I kind of joke that I escaped from the Midwest at the age of three because I was born in Lincoln, Nebraska. And thankfully, my dad took a job in Northern California at a small private Christian college as the career counselor. And so we moved from Lincoln when I was three out to the Napa Valley in Northern California. And ocean culture where I grew up wasn't really a thing because there's, uh, we were about two hours from the coast and, you know, the coast is inhabited by lots of large toothy critters, um, namely great white sharks. It's a pretty, you know, we're part of the red triangle there. So, you know, surf wasn't something that was on my radar really. Um, but I guess when I was five, my dad did a, what do you call it? I guess like a, a trade-off with a high school, um, in Hawaii where he went over and worked for like three months as their guidance counselor. Um, and so the family went along and that's where I really kind of fell in love with the ocean and, and got exposed to it. Uh, the high, the high school kids would take me out on a longboard and, you know, push me into waves. And I learned how to snorkel at Hanama Bay. And that was really my first kind of taste for salt water. And that kind of stuck with me. I kind of took to it literally like a fish to water. And, um, even when I was five, you know, going outside on the outer reefs and snorkeling and was not scared to kind of push my limits probably more than my dad was comfortable with being mostly from the Midwest. So, uh, that's where it started. And then it just kind of went from there. So you, you were in, you got, you had the taste of Hawaii. You went back to Northern California, which is kind of the polar opposite of, uh, of, of uh, climate. And, and then, then what was the plan? You know, you, you, I'm sure were wanting to, to get back to it. Um, what, what formulated in your mind to, to, uh, to make big moves? Um, at the time, nothing. <laughs> um, at the time I was, you know, I ended up focusing a lot on what was at hand. So it was, uh, I was really into wakeboarding and water skiing, um, mountain biking, rock climbing, backpacking, hunting, fishing. It was more those sports. Um, and you know, occasionally the family would go on vacation, whether, you know, we went to the Virgin Islands once, so did more, you know, we went to, a, you know, Florida, different places where I would get back in the, in the ocean a little bit, but for the most part, the ocean wasn't a big part of my life um, as far as activities went until really, I guess, my, my junior year of college, um, my roommate surfed in Northern California and him and I would go surf some. And then I went to the East coast on a research fellowship to, um, the Fort Johnson Marine lab in Charleston, South Carolina. And when I went back for that, um, that summer fellowship, my boss surfed and him and I started surfing together. And that's when I really started surfing a lot. Um, 
yeah, so then I guess right after college, he hired me um, to be a research biologist and, and run his lab. So I moved right after graduation, loaded my Subaru station wagon up with everything I owned and drove from Northern California to Folly Beach, South Carolina, and started living on the beach and working in, as a research biologist and surfing my brains out. Uh, was pretty much, you know, I was the big grom. I surfed whatever conditions, if it was rideable, if, and I mean borderline rideable, not rideable by Hawaii standards. I mean rideable by East Coast standards. I was surfing. Um, and I lived down there for three years, and that was kind of really where it, that, that's when it kind of really took off on the surf, surf side of the world. Now, you, uh, you ultimately got your degree, excuse me, your master's degree in marine biology. Well, let's rewind a little bit. You must have been a great student in high school. Is, it, is this true? Did you work really hard? Um, let's, let's talk to the kids a little bit about studies. Yeah, I was actually kind of, it was probably fortuitous that I didn't discover surfing until after I was done with undergrad because <laughs> I wasn't distracted by it. Um, and I where was, was your undergrad, if I can interrupt? It was actually at uh, Pacific Union College. It's the school that my dad actually had moved out to California to work at. It's a small private liberal arts um, little Christian school. It was like 1,500 kids. Most of my friends were all pre-med students. Um, I was the only one that wanted to go into research out of the biology majors that were you know my cohorts but uh yeah I was a bit of a nerd I was valedictorian in high school college yeah I was a one of those 4.0 kind of kids back then we didn't have 4.5s and all those the stuff they do now with extra credit you just you did what you did and I was very motivated initially because I thought I was gonna I wanted to fly fighter jets so I was a candidate for the Air Force Academy so I was trying to get my grades as high as possible to, you know, be successful on that front. And then, um, through some, I don't know, divine intervention, I guess, um, reasons I don't quite understand. One day I woke up thinking, Hey, I want to be a Marine biologist. And I knew to do that, I was going to need to have really pretty spectacular academic performance as well. So I kind of applied myself in a pretty serious way to school. I was a kid that you know, my wife jokes, you're the kid every parent wishes they have. And, you know, all I cared about was doing well in school, athletics. I didn't party. I was just focused on kind of achieving what I wanted in the future. And anything else was kind of a distraction that I didn't really get involved in. So you, you have, uh, you, you get into the master's program uh, at UNCW. I assume you're pretty passionate about the subject matter um what is that is that is that true yeah I was you know I worked in a marine mammal research lab down in Charleston um I had you know a lot of options but the one that I wanted was UNCW Dr. Ann Pabst who's one of the most respected marine mammal physiologists in the world uh runs a lab there and I beat on her door until she finally let me in um because I really wanted to work for her and that's what brought me up here to Wilmington so you, you uh, eventually graduate. Are you then uh, looking for a job in marine biology? Do you have some sort of goal? And then uh, my follow-up to that is, where, where then did the photography come in? So, yeah, the, I, <laughs> while I was shooting, or no, 
I should say, while I was shooting photos, doing my masters, um, the reverse is true. While I was doing, that's what my boss probably thought. Bless Anne's heart. Um, she's like, "Are are you here for a masters, or what are you doing?" Because right when I moved to Wilmington, um, there was a huge talent pool of surfers. Well, it's time out. What year is this? This is two thousand. So moved here in two thousand. Benny Bourgeois was on the WCT. The Gilligan brothers were Surfer Magazine, Top 100 Groms. Mark Hunt was primetime. Guy and Lee still had hair. I mean, no, he didn't. But um, let's see, who else? I mean, there was just a crowd of really talented um, surfers. And back at that point, we actually had surf magazines that cared. Um, nowadays, it seems like sadly we've lost a lot of that but eastern surf magazine was in its heyday um surfing magazine trans world surfer those were all flourishing so when i moved here there was already this talent pool that was getting published in those magazines and there had been a photographer here um chad um oh, come on my brain's blanking out i can picture his face loves to drink Mountain Dew. Anyway, um, Chad had just moved down to Florida and he had been the photographer that was shooting photos with everyone. And so there wasn't a photographer working with the kids. And when I showed up, um, I had started taking photos in Charleston, just kind of on a whim on a surf trip right before I moved up to Wilmington. Um, I'd done a surf trip with Chad Speedy and some of the other um, South Carolina kids. We went down to um pasquales on a surf trip and i started shooting photos just when the waves were bigger than my comfort level allowed me to want to get wet i was just shooting from land and had submitted a couple photos to eastern surf magazine and mez the photo editor there had sent me back some notes on what he would do to improve and being that i was a good scientist that i was i took his notes to heart applied myself and started going okay you want to you don't think I can do this? I'll show you. So um, really started shooting photos and, and that kind of took off right when I moved to Wilmington. So I remember vividly being uh, a young 18-year-old uh, college kid myself at that very time and looking back on the shore, seeing you and you had the most beautiful zoom lens. So did you start shooting land and then move to the water? Yeah, I started shooting land. My grandma gave me a, I started out with like, what did I have? I had a Sigma, like 70 to 300 or something. I'm trying to remember what lens what I initially had. It got stolen at Wrightsville. Um, the one camera theft I had in 15 years of traveling the world was at Wrightsville Beach. Um, and a, my parents for high school graduation had given me a Canon Elan um, film camera because back you know this was pre-digi so everything was film so that's what I was shooting from with and in order to get different angles and I didn't have the zoom to reach out to where the surf was I would wade with a tripod and that setup out to chest deep water and then jump over breakers and breakers came to shoot photos that I don't know. At the time, I remember going in, I used to go into Sweetwater and Tony Butler was the manager forever of Sweetwater. And I would show him photos thinking they were the best thing since sliced bread. 
and of course he you know they'd had chad there shooting photos and he had a canon 600 so they were like yep uh-huh yeah nice try but i was determined i did not did not quit easily so i just kept doing that and then finally my grandma gave me a loan uh to get my first canon 600 um so i got that and that was a game changer um so i started from land and then eventually i was kind of realizing that in order to get what i wanted i needed to be in the water and shooting from the land is i don't know it's a little you're detached you're just observing whereas i came to find out the water is much more my element that i enjoy because it's much more of a team sport you're you're intimately involved in what's happening you're talking with your surfers you you have to know what you want to get um, whereas land you can kind of just I don't want to say spray and pray. There's different types of land photography, but for your standard standing behind a 600, you're standing behind a 600 for hours on end, just hoping something happens. Um, but yeah, I bought a, a water setup from Chris Straley, who's a photographer out in California um, that I met out there. Um, so I got a SPL with a Canon 630 body and an EOS um, 15 millimeter lens fisheye. And the first time I swam water was, do you remember the dredge points that we used to have Yes. out at Columbia Street? So jumped in on one of those dredge points with Matt Gilligan. I didn't even have, you know, as, as I evolved as a water photographer, you end up trying every type of bodyboard fin made to figure out what works. You know, some people love the Viper. I swam in all sorts of different stuff. But back then, I didn't know. So I just had a pair of snorkeling fins. And tried swimming out in that of course in the current um those got ripped off so i was just basically floating along with no fins and that first roll of film with matt we got a rip curl spread ad and a spread in esm and that was like an eye-opener of like wow because nobody was shooting really shooting water on the east coast at the time i think the only person that was was seth stafford up in new jersey um most of the florida guys just shot you know, Mez and those guys shot water, but most of the time, you know, like Kevin Welsh was surfer's photographer. He was based out of Florida. Those guys just shot land. So um, doing stuff from the water kind of caught the attention of the magazines in a big way real fast. So that was pretty groundbreaking. And um, now let's speak to this digital, uh, the film to digital transition, because a lot of, I remember, or people said that, they were, oh, I'm only going to stay with film because digital will never be there. Where was your mind at this time? Were you like, I need to get on the digital train ASAP? Or were you like, I still like this film thing? I really liked film. I shot, we shot film for years. You know, I, I was a, when I'm trying to remember when Aaron, Aaron Chang had the first cover of Surfing and it was a shot of Flynn Novak at Pipeline, I think. I know it was a Pipeline shot. I think it was Flynn. Um, I could be wrong on the surfer, but that was when that came out, we were all like, yeah, the shadows are blocked up. It looks all pixelated. This is stupid. We're not, you know, like, and Aaron was the champion of digital um, moving into the surf world. And a lot of us, you know, I was a staff photographer at the magazine at the time. We stuck with film at least for another year or two. Um, and plus you got to think, you know, the magazines did not, they never paid well um even at my most senior you know when i'd been there for 15 years 
what they paid most people make is a part-time job so and they don't buy your equipment so you're financing your equipment through either ad shoots or whatever else and you're having to pay for it all so here you have invested all this money in film bodies and you know i think the the pinnacle of our film bodies was the canon eos 1v hs the high speed and it was shooting like nine or ten frames a second which for 36 shots when you swim out at pipe or back door or somewhere with consequence it was really um <laughs> one good sequence and you were swimming back to the beach and having to go back through the impact zone um but we were you know the the results you got with film were beautiful i mean we're shooting either uh Kodachrome 64 and then some some 100 speed stuff and then you know scala for black and white if you wanted to get more artistic i was at surfing magazine the majority of my career so and flame was my first photo editor there and he loved the front lit golden light you know he didn't really care as much about the black and white as much as like working for pete terrace or um, with trans world um, or some of the other you know those were kind of the two photo editors i worked with mostly through my career um, so there was con contrasting styles but i love shooting film uh, i was sad to transition to digital just there was something exciting about you know you got to enjoy the trip instead of having to edit photos every night after shooting you actually got to enjoy being there because once you shot you were done um and then when you got home it was like christmas because you'd send your film in. and when you got it back it was like unwrapping boxes of presents because you didn't know what you had until you opened up those boxes and threw them on the light table and, and saw if you got the shot or didn't whereas when it went to digital you know everybody wants it's instant gratification just feed the feed the urge like scratch the itch look at the photos look at the photos look at the photos um and that totally took away from being able to enjoy the trip as much i think everyone was so focused on looking at what you had making sure they got what they wanted or i don't know it just changed the dynamic and did you find um that your process evolved faster being able to look at your material instantaneously or uh you know i know it, it was uh you like the film better but as far as seeing what you were doing in the moment and then being able to react to that, did that accelerate your level? I think learning to shoot on film is way better because it teaches you how to be a photographer in a different way. You have to understand light. You have to understand what you're doing and learn it rather than just having that visual affirmation that, oh, I got a cool photo. So yes it was nice to see it and be like oh okay now i can try something different um but i really appreciate the fact that i learned on film because it made me a better photographer i think just having that i think it's easy to get lazy and just be like oh that's a cool photo when you can just look at it and not understand how you got it whereas with film you didn't have that like you had to get your exposures right you had to understand composition it, it made me think i think more and apply myself harder that way and it made me a better photographer overall i would i would argue um but sure digital has its advantages there's no doubt about it i mean being able to 
motivate your surfers by giving them a taste of the candy at the end of the day and being like, look at this shot. Let's try this tomorrow. That's nice. Um, it's just a giant workload on, on the road after you've worked all day. Like you go swim for hours on end, you get done and everyone expects to see an edit of the photos, you know, an hour later. So while everyone's eating dinner, you're scrambling to edit, download cards, edit photos, recharge batteries, all those things that normally, you know, you just turn into a drone. Like you're working as hard as you can, skipping meals just to make sure that they feel good about themselves and will continue performing. So I don't know. I prefer, I still prefer the film days. Um, but digital definitely, you know, has its advantages. It's just, it puts the photographer, turns the photographer into a pack mule and a workhorse rather than an artist in some ways. I mean, you're still an artist, but you don't have, it's just different. So speaking, that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And in speaking to that, that artist mentality, you, you kind of have uh, uh, two elements here. It sounds like the editors back at home base telling you what they want. And then you have your, your talent kind of, you know, they're their own artists almost doing their own thing. How, how did, did you manage to merge the two elements to then create such uh, amazing content? you had to know the personalities of your surfers and you have to be able to get along with everybody. I mean, that was kind of a key, key component. Um, understanding your editor's style, understanding. I mean, my joke was every time, Hey, we're shooting covers and spreads. I mean, that, the, all my surfers that traveled with me knew that was my goal. Um, and I think something that helped me along the way was understanding how print worked and understanding layouts uh, understanding negative space, understanding where gutters in a magazine would go so that you would frame your, your action or your image so that it was offset, not bullseye. I think you see a lot of the initial reaction of people is, oh, we want to, we got to make sure that's in focus. So we're going to center the action. Whereas early on, I realized you have to offset. Um, otherwise, you're not going to get a spread because if your action's dead center and then the gutter falls right in the middle of it and ruins your photo. So that turns your spread into a half page. So there were elements like that. Um, you know, different photographers do it different ways. You know, Chris Burkhardt, I think was brilliant in the fact that he realized, hey, it's less about the surfers, more about the environment. And so he went for small surfer, big environment. Mainstream loves it. Um, with my position at surfing, I was kind of handcuffed because action was king. So they wanted action photos um and they wanted tight action photos a lot of the time so that you know kind of forced my hand on a certain type of photography that i look back through and oh here's an, you know i look through my archive and be like oh yeah there's a guy doing a turn there's another guy doing a turn or an air you know you're like eh. um it's just a different variant of the same same kind of thing so i've always enjoyed you know, when I worked for Globe with Joe G and the Globe crowd, you know, which I got was fortunate enough to do for like over 10 years, we got to shoot some really creative, different type stuff that was, and at that point, Flame had, had passed and, and Pete was the photo editor. So he was much more receptive to weirdness. Um, so we got to shoot a lot different kind of photography and you just try to understand, you know, how that, 
how that editor likes to think and the surfers, you know, of course they just want covers and spreads. So, um, you know, back in the photo, photo pro years, you know, every, they wanted all their logos showing because each one of those logos meant dollars for their family. So it was just kind of a, it was teamwork all the way around, I guess. I don't, did I answer your question? That was kind of a, you, you, a rambling you, answer. I love that you totally crushed it. Uh, I want to kind of move on to the the physical process of capturing what you, what you did, and and when you go to where wherever it is you go, you've been all over the world. I think you said at the at the top fifty some countries, all these places. I'm sure you hadn't probably been to before, and you show up with an incredible team, and you're then. Uh, you know, ready to jump in the water, take photos um, at what are probably just like death-defying um, spots. Uh, can you kind of break down what your process was uh, prior to swimming in those environments? What what did you do beforehand, uh, mentally, uh, physically to prepare? And then when you were in the element, what was that like? Um, sure, I, I think, you know, I t I've always taken physical fitness real seriously. It's cheap life insurance. Um, I was a college athlete, so it. I just kind of kept with that. You know, in the what surf did world. You, what did you? Sorry to interrupt, but what did you do in college? I was a volleyball player, of all things. Um, so yeah, I played volleyball in college, and then, um, you know, with training, I was a. I would go to the YM or YWCA and, and swim a lot um, back then with fins, without underwater laps, you name it, distant stuff. Um, so that there was a lot of swimming, um, weight training, kind of the standard, standard stuff beyond the swimming, but swimming was always real important. Um, and just making sure my ankles and feet were used to swimming in stiff, short fins because that's where you're going to wear out, you know, your calves and hamstrings are going to wear out faster if you're not in shape for that, um, for finning. So lots of time in the pool doing that stuff. Um, showing up you're yeah, I think the most intimidating place, most places weren't too intimidating. I mean, Chopu obviously, um, but Hawaii was always a gladiator pit because you'd show up from the East coast and here you are a senior photographer at the magazine and the expectation is you're going to go get the photos and Hawaii when I started still had a lot more raw personalities I mean that was Andy Irons at his peak you had the wolf pack um that whole dynamic and there was much more enforcement of pecking orders so you aren't just going to show up and be like I'm the guy and go swim to the front of the pack I mean Scott Eichner was the guy you didn't go swim in front of Scott. Um, you know, Zach Noyle was Grom. I mean, you had Art Brewer on the beach and um, Tom Surveys there, Aaron Chang, and, you know, all these titans of surf photography are on the beach and in the water. And here you come as, I'm the new photographer at Surfing Magazine from Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. <laughs> I've never even seen waves that look like this. Oh, now I got to go swim. So I think, Probably the most, um, the story that illustrated it the best, I remember Damien Hobgood called me and he's like, hey, off the walls, six foot, uh, it's perfect for fisheye, let's go. And 
you know, I was staying right across, you know, surfing magazine had a house right there. And so, you know, grab my wetsuit. This might've been actually after I was at the surfing house, I might've been somewhere else. Um, but I remember got down to the beach with my water housing. Um, I'm sitting there putting on my fins and I wore, I was, I was working for globe at the time. So I had globe wetsuits and everybody on the, you know, that is like a strip in Vegas. It's for the surf world that, you know, right in front of pipe and back door and off the wall and all the houses start whistling and I hear people yelling struts and I'm like, Oh, here we go. I'm like, where are all the other photographers? And I'm looking around and there's nobody in the water. I'm like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden the first real set shows up and it's not six feet, it's eight to 10 feet and it's cracking. And I'm like, and Damo's already paddling out. And I'm looking and I see it's Kieran Perot, Mark Matthews, Mick Fanning, and Damo. And those are the only four surfers out. And I'm like, Mark Matthews is an absolute wild man. Like, he will go on waves that nobody wants. Kieran Perot, same, same. Mick, Frother, and Damo's, like, charges everything. And there's no photographers. And that was crazy to me because, you know, here's some pretty good talent in the water. And normally it's like you're stepping on heads of surf photographers on your way to the lineup. But with everybody screaming strunts, you're like, well, there's no backing down now. There's no like, I'm going to see what happens. It's like, gotta go swim. So I remember swimming out through pipeline with my heart, just pounding, praying, please God, just let me not get caught. Um, Cause when you swim over to back door and off the wall, there is no out. Like there's no like channel, like pipe. So swam through pipe, swam across pipeline um, and down into the impact zone. And it was just like the next two hours were, I mean, it's the only time I've ever shot the North shore as the only surf photographer and ended up getting I think like four spreads out of it, but was terrified the entire time. Cause it was just like, every time you went in for a wave, all you can think is what's behind this one, you know, like, am I going to pop through the back of this one and just get pounded into the bottom? Um, I remember being really excited to touch dry land after, after that swim, but that was, you know, a little glimpse of it. What was that your first trip or how many seasons had you been? been there? <sighs> no, it wasn't my first trip. My first, <laughs> my first trip started with getting off the airplane, getting picked up by Evan Slater, who was the, or he was the editor-in-chief he's now the Evan the VP of marketing at Billabong and um, he's a great great human I love Evan we spent a lot of time together but he picks me up and this is the height of Eddie Rothman and the Wolfpack and I remember telling my wife before I left because I was newly newly married I was like I just have to steer clear of the Wolfpack because I'd heard stories about Kala and the boys and people getting slapped and here fresh Holly and I get there and Evan picks me up and he's like hey I'm taking you to Eddie's house you're shooting portraits of Makua and I was like what he's like yeah we need portraits of him with his spearfishing gear you're it I'm like well you're coming with me I remember showing up and Eddie comes out yelling at Makua to get his stuff together and I'm just like, oh, we're going to get slaps for sure. Um, ended up, you know, getting the photos done. Um, it was an interesting experience. But, yeah, that was my first exposure 
I think we got back to the house and Russ Hennings had just gotten slapped by claw at the Quicksilver house. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, what am I in for? And, um, and uh, what year was this? That would have been 2003, I think winter of 2003 or four, right around there. Cause I finished my first winter. I didn't go. I went to Barbados right after. Yeah. I, I'm thinking it would be 2003. Yeah, uh, I've met Eddie a few times. Uh, he's uh, intimidating, but each experience, incredibly nice guy. Gave me some uh, hooey gear, the hooey gear. Uh, so nothing but but nice um, things to say about the Rothman family. Oh um, no, it was it yeah. was just per perception. You know, it was like yeah, it, what you know, the North Shore back then was raw. I mean, it was not all the corporate the, there weren't all the corporate houses you know like every company didn't have a house on the beach at the time it was like still kind of run by the surf crowd and you know like i said there was a pecking order and if you in, inadvertently or you know showed any disrespect or perceived as showing disrespect there were consequences um and being the new guy at the magazine house, you definitely were like, okay, I'm walking on eggshells. So you spent a lot of winters on the, on the North shore, uh, was you've also, again, traveled all over the world. Would you say that the North shore is the, is the premier spot to, to swim in gnarliest spot? Um, or do you have any uh, runners up second, second best locations? Um, I mean, it's definitely the, it's the gladiator pit. I mean, the North shore is the focus of the surf world. Every, every winter, um, there's waves that rival those. I mean, Chopu can absolutely, I mean, the first time I remember seeing photos of Corey at Chopu, I thought it was Photoshop. I was like, there is no way the ocean does that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely mutant slabs out there that are, crazy to swim um almost every country has them brazil's got gnarly slabs ireland um you go around the world there's crazy you know australia crazy slabs but for consistent conditions and talent it all came together you know all together at once the north shore was definitely the the pinnacle of that i i don't see too many people swimming uh at, at chokes can you speak to your experience doing that and would you do it yeah again? yeah um anyone who swims chokes with a fisheye has that experience where they're like oh crap i'm screwed um and some guys got it worse than others i remember eichner had a crazy one he almost died um everybody has if you swam it it just the way the water moves it's so thick it's hard to pull through and um when I did it, I remember swimming, I was with CJ and Damo Hobgood and swam out and it wasn't that big. I mean, it was like six foot. Um, and that's not East coast six foot. That's what they call six foot. And it's hard. What do you call a backless wave, but double overhead on the face, I guess. Um, but we were shooting fisheye and CJ came through a barrel and I got shucked in the lip over, over top of him onto the, it felt like jumping off a two-story building onto your knees on, onto cement it rocked my world i remember i crawled into the boat the rip curl boat like mick fanning and poncho sullivan were sitting there watching and 
I drug myself over and I had water in my housing. I had blood on my knees. My bell was rung pretty hard. And I just lay on the bottom of the boat for like 15 minutes before I swam back over to our boat and then fixed my housing and started shooting again. But um, it's super intense. Um, Chopu is interesting. Even shooting with, I think the most fun I had was using a 50. Um, but the way it, it barrels all the way to the boats, you know, it keeps barreling through there. So the surfers are coming at you, even with a 50, suddenly you're in the barrel too. And it's spitting so hard and it's moving so fast. Everybody's screaming. You're screaming. The surfers are screaming. I mean, it's just, it is a very compressed adrenaline experience. Um, nowhere else can you go sit in the boat in the channel and possibly get sucked over the falls or, you know, get spit on, you know, for it when it's big, it's, it's a scary monster when it's small, it's perfect, but it still can be deceptive, you know, deceiving. But when it's big, it's, that's a lot of water moving. You know, you, you were in this industry during the pretty much the, the height, you know, the Andy years, um, Slater in his world championships. Um, can you, and at the same time, you were the number one photographer, uh, according to Transworld Business. Um, I, I would like to know from your perspective, what was that like being at the top of, of such a hardcore game? Um, uh, how did it feel? Um, and then how, how was it transitioning out of that time? Um, yeah, it was a, it was kind of a crazy time. I was gone a lot. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, the honest bottom, you know, the transparent truth is when, and I was married, so it wasn't like I was just a single guy out living the dream. I had a wife to come home to. And, you know, for some of those years, I had my, you know, Jonah was born. So um, ultimately, in hindsight, I'd give it away because I think the best years of my career, as far as from the world's eyes of success, like the top of the trans world exposure meter and that stuff were probably the worst years of my marriage and the toughest years of my family. Cause I was gone constantly. Um, anytime I was home, the magazine was like, well, we need you on another trip. You know, you're our top photographer. You gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I was motivated. Um, so I had a hard time saying no. And I was trying to pay the bills for the family and, you know, it wasn't like the mag was making me rich. So, um, I think, the golden years of surf photography were probably the eighties. That's when the photographers made the big money. Um, but by the time I came along, yes, it was golden as far as the performance went, but it wasn't, you know, the compensation wasn't, wasn't the same. So you just were kind of going, going, going on the, on the gerbil wheel, um, trying to make it happen. You know, there's a lot of expectations, you know, you have these high profile athletes and they don't want to go on a trip and get skunked or they don't want to, you know, you've got to make sure you get the shot because if you don't, then they're going to be upset with the magazine. And then you're about, you know, the trickle down effect of not getting the shot was pretty huge. So uh, there was a lot of pressure internal and external to make sure you, you know, got the best material you could. And for a lot of those years too, I was kind of the brownwater Navy. I wasn't going to the, typical surf destinations like the you know i never did one of those mentalized boat trips back in the day you know pete frieden what kind of was like the guy for surfing magazine for the boat trips um 
so they had me going to all the weird places you know i went to yemen i went to uruguay all through central america um south america um i was going to this the places where they were concerned that they wanted the adventure aspect of it but they were concerned that they wouldn't get the content from it unless someone you know i was the go-to person for those trips because they knew i'd try really hard and coming from the east coast i wasn't scared to shoot in bad waves could make it happen so um i had a lot of really amazing adventures but not a lot of those trips we were like wow i really want to do that trip you know not too many people look at yemen and say i really want to go there but i was like yeah i want that um send me so i remember reading about that and, and hearing about your trip when when you recently returned and can you can you kind of enlighten us to what surfing in Yemen is like? Um, well, well, at the time, now, now it's a different situation. <laughs> but um, now you might get yeah, higher likelihood of getting shot now than then. Um, but you but were there was, before the the hardcore uh, civil war. Well, they've had so many. Um, there had been a civil war, and it used prior to me going. It was North and South Yemen, and then they had reunited when I was there. I was there in 2006. Um, so 9-11 had already happened. There was already, you know, extremism was a thing. Um, and the coal had already been bombed in port in southern Yemen. So there were definitely, um, you know, we were heavily involved in Afghanistan and Iraq at that point. So there was, there was a lot of hesitancy on that trip by the magazine by the surfers by the surfers families um but it was a trip that i felt we could pull off um i don't know why i felt we could pull it off but um we did and we we're out on a little island called Socotra, which is off the horn of africa it's a yemenese controlled island um beautiful it's a unesco heritage site um it's spectacular if it if it wasn't for extremism um it would probably be you know one of the top destinations in the world for people wanting to visit an exotic location um but surfing was challenging we were there during the monsoon season we figured our bet was that the monsoon um would bring winds that would generate at least rideable surf and we'd be able to find nooks and crannies where it wasn't on shore and we ended up getting overhead barrels one day at a beach break um but for the most part it was once again just kind of making it making it happen where we were they'd never seen westerners you know before they had no idea what surfing was so it was really kind of neat to have one of those in the summer moments where they were all running up to figure out what the heck you guys were doing and you know trying to figure out what surfboards were and the fishermen were complete and you know we, we constantly heard, oh, you can't go there. There's big waves and sharks. And I was like, oh, that sounds like exactly where we need to go. Uh, if there's big waves, because we were trying to find surf. So it was a National Geographic trip wrapped into a surf trip, really. Sounds super incredible and uh, just something that you'll never forget. Uh, was, um, was there any other location like that where it was that hardcore would you say your yemen experience was probably the, the pinnacle of, of hardcore yeah the yemen trip was probably the pinnacle but you know like the first trip i did to nicaragua right when i started um my very first trip for any magazine was for trans world for pete terrace and 
nobody had been in Nicaragua since their civil war. So Pete was like, Hey, if you want a trip, go to Nicaragua. And you know, he wanted a list of surfers. And I think I called him back like 15 minutes later and I'd lined up the surfers, you know, it was Outer Banks crowd and, and Benny and Asher Nolan and Brian Toth. It was like East coast crew and, um, Jesse Hines, Matt Beecham, Noah Schneider, Alec Parker. Um, I ended up going down there for three weeks and, you know, that was still, you know, you know, there's soldiers on the beach with AKs cruising the beach and wanting to know what you're doing. Um, that was pre sat phone pre, you know, we didn't have, there were no email opportunities. There was no iPhones, you know, I was gone for three weeks, um, with no touch really to home. We were just down there. So, you know, back then prior to iPhones and Skype and all of the communications things, we were really just out there, you know, we didn't have surf forecasting to the point where, you know, you didn't have surf line. You were just going, you know, like, well, this is the time of year when there's going to be surf based on the weather patterns and history. So we're going, and then you either got waves or you didn't, or you extended your trip. Um, whereas as things progressed, it turned into, okay, we're only going to go if the swell is this size. And, you know, it, it got super surfers and sponsors got super particular about their threshold for what they wanted to travel for. It took a lot of the adventure out of it and it turned into more of a just glamping for waves kind of thing, I guess. And we, we now move out of, of this period and you're now into uh, different things still in the water. You're an expert spear fisherman. You're also um, documenting spear fishing um, extremely well. You're removed from the surfing industry and the scene. Um, I would like, um, well, I would like you to comment on uh, where we are today with um, the surfing world as a whole and then below that, where is the photography? Um, where do you see the business of photography in that world? Yeah, the surf world changed a lot. Um, it had, 2007 was a huge blow to the surf world with a global economic downturn and that crushed a lot of companies really hard, but it still kind of limped through that and came back pretty strong. But then the past few years, I got out in 2000, has it been five, six years ago now when I left the magazine? Um, we've lost the print mags. You know, Surfer's Journal is the only one that's left. Um, so losing the print mags gives you an idea of the opportunities for, for photographers. It turned into an instant, an instant world where everybody just wanted Instagram posts. Um, the surf industry itself, the big companies all bought into, hey, we're going to go public. The guys that started them sold out made it rich are living very comfortably the companies themselves being publicly traded had to maintain growth so they ended up investing in you know brick and mortar and all this stuff that ultimately for surf is unsustainable and then a lot of that stuff collapsed and you know the people that were in, that loved surfing um and were part of the surf industry kind of got left holding the bag of like oh well now this quote-unquote surf industry is dead and there's there's pockets of resistance to that um and there's some 
companies that are still thriving, the smaller brands, um, uh, like Octopus, you know, like Joji and the crowd at Octopus, I think do an awesome job of, they're kind of reinvigorating the idea of what it is to be a surf brand and they're having fun with it. They're not trying to turn it into this um, monstrous mall chain that a lot of companies got sucked into. Um, and I think that was kind of the downfall for the surf world was, Hey, we want to be, we see unlimited potential and there actually is some limited potential. Not everyone. I remember Hurley was making board shorts for a while. Those phantoms like phantom fours were like 275 bucks for a pair of board shorts or something crazy. And for a little while people paid for it. And then they were like, wait a second, what are we doing? Um, so it's, I was very fortunate to get off the wheel when I did because um, for the surf photography world, there's still guys that were contemporary with me, um, Ryan Miller, um, a few others that are still making a, a good living doing it, but they're gone constantly. The demands are crazy from the brands that they, you know, support. And they're having to output digital stuff, you know, so fast. It's almost like in real time. Um, so unless you have an angle um, and a strategy that's, different from what's currently happening it's a very hard industry to be successful in i think um there's still opportunity but it's not one where you can pick up a camera and be like i'm going to shoot photos of my friends and be a surf photographer um that's changed it used to be that way um but now it's it's a tough one so with uh, with that said um what advice would, would you have would you give to uh, kids today or uh, young um, people at heart that want to um, get into surf photography or ocean photography more generally, um, what would you say to them? Do it for fun. Develop your own eye, your own sense of what's important for you and focus on that. Um, don't do it because you want to, um, I wouldn't recommend it as a career choice, but at the same time, if you have the talent in the eye, you can turn it into one uh, that, you know, I think there's always that opportunity. Um, but it's, it's kind of like wanting to be a pro, you know, telling a kid, Hey, you're going to be a pro surfer. You know, how many kids actually are not very many that are going to make it, you know, that level. So um, do it because you love it. Do it as an expression of who you are, you know, show what's important to you don't care what other people think like if it's important to you and you want to document it a certain way then it, you know it speaks to you do it like there's no especially now with digital there's no you know be yourself be creative have your own voice don't just fall into i you know i need to have it look a certain way or this guy does it that way so i need to do it don't worry about all those outside voices you know, definitely learn from other people. And, and, you know, I can, I learn from, I never stop learning. I'm still learning from stuff I see from other photographers and things like that, but don't be so in, entrenched in this idea of it's my identity. Instead, just do it because you love it. Do it as an expression of what you love about the sport, why you love the ocean, why you love surfing. Um, and that'll come through in your images and it'll ultimately make you stand apart from people that are just want to be insta famous well said dj last last question um 
according to DJ Strunz, what is the meaning of life? Uh, meaning of life? Um, according to DJ Strunz, meaning of life for me is pretty simple. I'm a Christian. For me, that's the foundation of who I am and, and how I view the world. So, um, you know, out of that comes lots of stuff. A lot of, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, you know, trying to keep a balance of, you know, faith and family and what I love is the constant challenge. So, um, yeah, that, that would be the simple short version for me. Um, try to stay focused on that and everything else kind of seems to work itself out. But the moment you get off track and lose track of, of who you really are, then, then it's easy to get distracted and end up places that you wish you weren't and learn lessons you probably shouldn't have learned. So there's the, there's the short version, Sean. Well, DJ, this has been absolutely incredible. And I, I thank you again so much for your time and generosity, uh, delivering your, your history and, and knowledge uh, to this uh, historical record that I'm attempting to create. And um, I, I'm, I'm just always in awe of you and your intensity and your, your just way of being. So uh, thank you again. Oh, thanks. I uh, really appreciate you having me on, Sean. And yeah, look forward to sur surfing with you one of these days here shortly. Yes, uh, I hope to see you very soon also. Cool, brother. Have a great day. You too, sir.